0: Heavenly Father, this morning, how good it is to worship you, to praise you, to bow before you. Oh God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, you choose to be with us every moment of every day. The unbelievable truth that as we abide in you, you call us children, sons and daughters of the living God, and such we are. So we bless you. We gather in your holy name to lift you up and to worship you. We gather to hear your truth. We gather to respond in obedience to whatever you might say to our hearts, our minds, our souls because your sons and your daughters are ones that obey you and love you and follow hard after you so thank you for the gift of your presence and your power and your purity in our lives thank you for the provision of the blessed holy spirit can change and transform us so that all might see in us a reflection an image of you yourself, Lord Jesus. We have seen that in our speaker today. He's much more than our speaker. He's been a shepherd to so many. Teacher, minister, faithful husband, father, grandfather. And yet again today, he's faithful to rightly divide your truth. So, Spirit of God, anoint Dr. Hamilton this hour. May we be challenged and encouraged in our faith and more in tune with you and your will for our lives when we leave this place in a few moments to go out and make a difference for you. We trust that'll be the case. We have faith believing that'll be the case because we gather together in your name and we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Appreciate Chris and Phil and Ernie. They've led us today, and Dr. Shell and everyone who's had a part in making these days possible. It's so fitting to have Dr. Victor Hamilton speak this week, Monday, and also yet again today. We all know he's retiring at the end of the semester from our Bible and Theology Department. He's been here. Serving faithfully at Asbury for 36 years, Dr. Reitmeyer alluded to most everything we need to hear, but we do have some guests and visitors today, and we want to make them aware. We have been so blessed as a campus community to have Dr. Hamilton speak and share in chapel so many times, I believe. uh, In each of those years, he's been here behind this pulpit, and uh, certainly we're the better for that. You are, and I am, all of us who have heard him and have had the privilege of sitting under his ministry, the ministry that the Lord's entrusted to him, know why he's he's here yet again today for us. Dr. Hamilton is a much sought-after speaker. He's a preacher, Bible teacher, travels extensively, has for years throughout the summers as he speaks and ministers all across the United States and abroad. I think his retirement's going to be pretty brief because I believe his schedule's already quickly filling up. I hope he remembers we've already signed him up to be our speaker for next spring's Holiness Emphasis Week. What a legacy of faithful Christian living Dr. Hamilton has lived in front of us and in front of his God throughout all these years before he came to Asbury and certainly after he's been here. Successful teaching and ministry and service and how beautifully he sheds his wisdom to all of us through a heart and a mind that's given over to the Lordship of Christ. I personally know Dr. Hamilton to be a man of impeccable character, godly wisdom when I've gone to him, all of that combined in a heart that is filled with love for God and for all others. He's probably not going to like what I'm going to do He does have the last word, so he can do what he wants. But this morning, I want us to do something, because we do have some guests. We have people that are here today because they heard about Dr. Hamilton being in chapel for the last time as a full-time faculty person. We have alums who are here and others. I'm going to ask those ones to stand at this time if Dr. Hamilton has ministered to your life, has shown you the love and grace of God. As a colleague or a friend, would you stand, please, at this time and remain standing? I'd ask you to stand at this time if God has used Dr. Hamilton to minister to your life as he's preached here or in any of a number of other settings. You stand at this time, please, and remain standing. And if Dr. Hamilton has ministered to your life here, if you've been in his class and been blessed by his teaching, stand at this time as well. I want all of us to stand together at this time. We're going to give God the glory, but we're going to honor and we're going to thank Dr. Victor Hamilton for his life and the legacy of faith. Greet him as he comes to minister, please.
1: Well, I have no idea how I'm supposed to speak after that. Uh, But thank you uh, for your kindness and your encouragement and your support. If the Lord has in any way been able to use me over these years to encourage my students... I will never be able to tell you how much the Lord has used you to encourage me. And I counted a privilege to have one final opportunity to stand before you this morning, at least in my capacity as an employee of the college, and share what I believe the Lord has given to me to pass on to you this morning. I want to speak to you on the topic, wanting Bithynia, but getting Troas. And I'm going to read for you Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 10. If you care to follow or just simply listen. If you are from Kentucky, you really have to like the way Acts 16 begins. It says, Paul came to Derby. (laughs) Though I think this is another Derby. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And it's this next verse, verse 7, that I get that title from. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, wanting Bithynia but getting Troas and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him come over to Macedonia and help us and after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me uh, set the stage for this story first. It's a part of the book of Acts that we refer to as Paul's second missionary journey. The description of that journey begins in the end of chapter 15, continues all the way through 16, and all the way through chapter 17, and through most of chapter 18. His traveling companion on this particular missionary trip is an individual by the name of Silas. And later, young Timothy, as we saw from the opening verses, is added to the the group. It's a trip that starts in Jerusalem, winds its way up north, hugging the shore of the Mediterranean, and then turns westward into what today we would call Asia Minor, or, or what in biblical times was called Asia Minor, but what today we would call Turkey. And all of those cities that I read, like Derby and Lystra and etc, cetera, etc, cetera, are, are mostly cities found somewhere. Uh, in the modern country of Turkey. And as Paul and his companions make their trip westward through Asia Minor, we read in verse 7 that Paul set his heart upon going into Bithynia. That's actually a pretty good idea. For at this particular time, Bithynia is a region that the gospel has never penetrated. More than likely, there is not not a Bithynian alive who has ever heard the name of Jesus at this time. Bithynia is today what we would call a wide open but totally unreached mission field. So, Paul's reasons for wanting to go to this region, which today would hug the southern shore of what we call the Black Sea in northwest Turkey, were very good and very proper. It's very logical, and when the writer of Acts sixteen tells us that Luke, uh, that Paul tried to go into Bithynia, I think he really did try. This bullheaded, aggressive, personality A type apostle exhausted all of his options to simply take the name of Jesus into virgin soil. But we are told without explanation that for some reason, the spirit of Jesus said no and closed the door. And so perhaps as a kind of a backup plan, When his first plans did not work out, Paul and his companions wind their way down to the city of Troas. Where they hear a call from across the body of water. And as a result, the whole continent of Europe is opened up to the gospel. Now, what does Bithynia represent for us this morning? What does it represent for me? Wanting Bithynia, but settling for Troas. Well, let me suggest a few things that I think that Bithynia represents, and then we'll get around, and I I want to share with you in just a few minutes three principles that I would extract from this text I think for some of us here this morning, Bithynia represents what we would really like to do with our lives. Troas represents what we will actually end up doing with our lives. For some of us here this morning, Bithynia represents some exciting career track that we would like to pursue. Troas may represent the actual track that we end up following. For some of us here this morning, Bithynia may represent a particular college or a graduate school that you would deeply love to get into and be admitted to, but end up perhaps being some other school or some other college which was not your primary choice, not your first choice. And so that is the reason why I share with you this morning wanting Bithynia but ending up at Troas. And I would like to share three principles from this episode that flow out of my own heart And I trust the Holy Spirit will help them, help you to apply those principles to your heart. Here's here's the first principle. Uh, You will see these on the overhead. Here's principle number one In the overwhelming number of instances, when you and I want to go into our Bithynia, guess what? God also wants you to go there. For some reason, some of us labor under the delusion that what we want to do with our lives, simply because we want to do it with our lives, cannot be, therefore, what God wants to do with our lives. So, for instance, if you really want to invest your time in playing football, that's a passion for you. Well, that's probably not God's passion. And so what he's going to do is he's going to break one of your legs. And, and, and instead of that, make you take up the flute. <laughs> or if your passion is playing the flute. More than likely, therefore, that is not God's passion for me. And so what God is going to do is to give you a perpetual condition of badly chapped lips so that you will have to take up football instead. (laughs) Surely what I want to do, therefore, probably God has something else for me. No, I suggest to you, I, I, I suggest to you strongly this morning, that for every time God says, back off. A dozen times he says, go for it. I mean, doesn't the scripture say that? Let me read for you four scriptures. You don't need to look them up. They will all, they will all either use the noun desires... Or they will use the verb desire. Number one, in no particular order, Psalm 37, verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Did I paraphrase that? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you your Bithynias. Psalm 145, verse 19. God fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24 Whatever the righteous desire will be granted. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. If anyone desires to be a leader among God's people, he desires something that is noble and good. So do you see why I say in light of passages like that? That God much more frequently will use the green light than he will the red light. And that's the first point that I wish to extract from this lesson. In the overwhelming majority of instances where you and I are dealing with dreams... Passions, God will say to us, Go for it. I'm with you in this. That's one principle. Principle number two that I would extract from this story is Have you ever noticed that God has a way of transforming? our disappointments into his appointments. Now let me see, share with you how that comes out in the story. According to my calculation, ladies and gentlemen, on this second missionary trip that Paul and his companions made, he visited at least, at least, maybe more than this, but he visited at least 16 different cities. Most of them fairly significant cities. Metropolitan urban areas. Both in Asia Minor and over in parts of Europe. So at least 16 times... Paul moved from place A to place B. And then after a while, from place B to place C. And then after a while, from place C to place D. And so forth. Now here's my point. In all of those 16 instances, where Paul decided it was time to pack on, pack up, and move elsewhere, How many times, how many times is there an explicit reference to the Holy Spirit guiding Paul in his travels? Well, certainly not at the start. Do you remember how this missionary journey was launched? Quite a contrast from how the first missionary journey of Paul was launched. You could read about that in Acts chapter 13, where we read that while the believers were together fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul for the work to which I have called him. That's, that's a great context. But do you, realize, do you remember how this missionary crusade was launched? Paul and Barnabas went after each other's jugular. We're taking John Mark with us. End of chapter fifteen. And Paul in astonishment says to, to Barney We're We're taking who? We're taking John Mark over my dead body. Well, if it's over your corpse, over your corpse will go. And we are told that these two otherwise mature Christians were not able to reconcile and resolve their differences. It's interesting to me, if Paul's first missionary journey was launched by a fast, his second missionary journey is launched by a fight. And it occurs to me that in the 30, almost 36 years I have been here, we have had an Isbury College campus more than our share of times of contentiousness. Where we just were not able to resolve our differences... I don't know if this is true at every place, but my experience at Asbury would suggest to me that some contentiousness is all right because normally, more often than not, it's worked out to be a kind of a prelude to revival. And God has swept among us and brought us together in a way that he, we could not have ever come together before. So certainly there was no explicit divine guidance at the beginning. Only two times are we told that the Holy Spirit spoke and directed to Paul on this trip. And both times, one's in verse 6 and one's in verse 7, the only two times the Holy Spirit explicitly supplied guidance for Paul was when he told him, Not to go somewhere. Verse 6. We were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Isn't that interesting? Those are the two times, the only two times when the Spirit communicated information to Paul. I would imagine Paul might have cried out and said, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go next? And the Spirit responds and says, use your atlas. I think from those passages we can learn a a, a great lesson about how God leads and how God guides I think most of us, myself at the top of the list, understand divine guidance somewhere, something like this. Lord, if you will tell me to go, I will go. That's a kind of a passive approach to guidance. God, if you call me, if you tell me to go, I will go. But I think a more New Testament way of guidance is something like this. Lord, I am going. And if you don't want me to go, you're going to have to stop me. And he can stop you. He does have a red light in his arsenal. Now don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand and read into what I just said. For instance, do not say if you have a Spanish 202 test coming up, Lord, I'm not as ready for that Spanish exam that I'm going to be taking soon. And I'm not as ready as I should be, and therefore, I'm thinking about cheating, and if you don't want me to cheat, you're going to have to stop me. No. That's not what I'm saying. Or if there's a movie playing on in Lexington at the moment that has an awful lot of fundamental anti-Christian values. Now, I know that's not the best movie for me to see, Lord. But I'm going to see it. And if you don't want me to see it, somehow you're going to have to stop me from seeing it. No, that's not what I'm saying. And I suggest to you that what for Paul originally was a disappointment turned into a divine appointment. As God brought him down to Troas. And as a result, he was in a place geographically where he could hear a voice from the other side of the body of water saying, come over, come over to Greece, come over to Europe and help us. We need to know who Jesus is too. And I think of many of my students who've been down that road where a disappointment was transformed into a divine appointment. I'm thinking of Irving. Most of you will not know who Irving is. He's a cardiologist from Malaysia, graduated from this school back in the mid 90s or thereabouts. He applied for the most prestigious cardiology residence of any medical school in the United States and was one of three applicants to get that position. He was here on a student visa. And because, so I understand, he was from a Muslim country, Malaysia, and of course 9-11 was all in the air, uh, they refused to extend his visa. And his only choice was to, A, to leave the country and uh, turn down that terrific offer what a disappointment what a disappointment and he chose to go and work in a part of Canada which is one of the most isolated extremely poor and very highly diseased places where most of the people had never seen a doctor, never mind a cardiologist. And I remember Irving say to me, God has turned my disappointment into his divine appointment. He said, Mr. Hamilton, I cannot begin to tell you the incredible way that God has used me here. I thought it would be in the Chicago area, and I'm sure that story could be multiplied many, many times over. There's a third principle that I would place before you this morning, and that is this. Sometimes, in order to get the Troas, God wants to give you. You have to lay down and surrender your Bithynia, what you have given your heart to, until you find that God may have other plans. I had a Bithynia in my backyard. There's a place I set my heart on going to after I finished graduate school. And I think Paul's wanting to go into Bithynia was no more elevated than my reasons for wanting to go into my Bithynia when I finished my undergraduate train, training. I wanted to go back and join the faculty, the school, the Christian College, Houghton College, from which I had graduated. That's what I set my heart on. I mean, I think I had a good package to offer. Number one, I was a member of the denomination that sponsored that school. Number two, I was an ordained pastor in the denomination that sponsored that school. I was an alumnus of the school. And at that particular time, in their department of religion and Bible, or whatever they called it, they didn't have one faculty member with an earned doctorate. And I did. Furthermore, it was up north, and I love winters. And last of all, and last of all, it was a little over 100 or 150 miles from our parents and our siblings. And I really wanted to go to that Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus said no. The spirit of Jesus said no by a polite letter of rejection from the president of the college then that said, if we had an opening, you're exactly the person we would love to hire. And my dream and my passion came crashing to the ground. And after that rejection, I wrote, this is pre-computer days, I I wrote to over a hundred other schools and colleges for a position. Do you have any kind of opening? All the time, not writing to one Christian liberal arts college. You want to guess which one that is? You're right, you're right. (laughs) And one day, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Kinlaw called me up in New England. And he said to me words something like this. We do not currently have an opening for somebody like you, but we feel, I feel in my heart that this is where God wants you to be. Would you at least be willing to fly down and let us interview you? I want it so much to go into my Bithynia, my dream, my plans, my goals, my aspirations. And God instead led me to Troas. And I cannot claim that God has used me in any shape or form like he used Paul. But I am amazed as I reflect back in my career here how God has used any gifts, talents that I have in a way that I could never imagine over these last But I must admit, when I first came to Asbury College to join the faculty in the fall of 71, I was not a happy camper. I thought I was entitled to Bithynia. And what I ended up with is a surrogate backup plan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and about three weeks after I arrived here, I made my way to the altar. And I just surrendered my Bithynia to God. And I asked him to use me in the Troas to which he was sending me. And I give God all the praise this morning for the way he's worked that out. This is how I'd like to end the service this morning. Uh, Just going to ask you to remain seated. Mark, if you would come up and play uh, just on the organ. We don't need to sing. You'll recognize the words, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. I'll just ask you to quietly bow your head and you want to hum along or something like that, that is fine. If if you would like to uh, come to this precious altar, like I did as a a third-week-old faculty member of the college, and just turn it all over to God and leave it in his hands, you feel free to come and pray. And I'll pronounce the benediction in a couple minutes, and you're on your way. Lord God, thank you for the mighty privilege that we have of being connected in any way to this part of your family, the Asbury family. We thank you, Lord, for, for memories, for experiences, not always pleasant, but they're part of the package too. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this morning. This has been a holy time. Thank you for these precious young people. They challenge me. They inspire me. They give me great hope and optimism for the ongoing of the work of the kingdom of God. And Now may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you